Hey everyone, Joseph here, producer with the Frontier Pod, to tell you about a super exciting and informative event that we've been working on behind the scenes to share with our community. On Wednesday, August 28th at 11am, Gun.io and Raygun are teaming up to bring you a webinar where we'll go over practical tips to building high-performance software teams. Our presenters, Dave Swirsky, who is a lead engineering manager and author, and Jeff Langston, freelance software engineer and consultant, will be tackling this issue from both sides of the equation as a team leader and a freelance engineer. They're going to look at what to look for when hiring new talent and how to achieve that best culture fit, some software monitoring tips that empower your team, and some proven mechanisms that drive positive behavior, ownership, and increased customer satisfaction. They're also going to look at how to speed up the onboarding process so your new hires have the info that they need and are on the same page with the wider team. And hey, can't make it on August 28th at 11 a.m.? Totally cool. We got your back. Register anyway, and we'll send you the recording. You can find all the information and register at bit.ly slash raygunwebinar. That is bit.ly slash r-a-y-g-u-n webinar. Or you can find those links in the show notes. That's enough for me. Let's get on with the show. Damien Shankelman is the Director of Engineering at Auth0. Ledge reached him at his remote office in Brazil. Auth0 provides SDKs and APIs for identification and login. Auth0 is the stripe of logging into websites and apps. As an engineering director, Damien's number one objective is scaling engineering teams, making sure the right people are in the right seats with the right training and support to do their job. In this wide-ranging interview, he discusses remote culture, distributed teams, team building, trust, and more. Hey, Damien, it's really cool to have you on, man. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here. Really appreciate it. Would you mind, uh, if you don't don't mind, give a, a little introduction of uh, yourself You know, and your work? Um, audience is excited to, to hear from somebody with a platform that we love so much. Sure. Thanks for that. Um, so, yeah, my name is Damien. Uh, I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Uh, I have a typical like, CS background, went to systems engineering school. Um, I've been working at Otsido now for five years, uh, doing kind of all sorts of things. I worked as a software engineer, uh, mostly in our backend teams, worked with at scale, authentication, billing. Uh, and then over the past three and a half years, I'm a, I've been a director of engineering here, and I've, I've had the pleasure and, and have been lucky enough to work with all of our teams, almost with our, our product teams, our infrastructure teams. So I've, I've been all over the place. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. You know, so much to talk about. I mean, you guys have, have grown so much and scaled so much. Just in case somebody in the audience doesn't know what Auth0 is, uh, why don't we just give a, a product um, introduction, right? So the, the context is there, you know, when we start talking about deeper topics. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so Auth0 provides uh, identity as a service. You pay a monthly subscription and you get to use our APIs, our SDKs to make authentication and identity access easier in your application. Let's say you're developing a mobile app, you're developing a web app, any type of application. You want to know, uh, you want your users to log in, you want to know what they can do. We make that easy. We make it easy to enable identity providers like social providers, the Facebook, Google, enter enterprise databases like SAP, Oracle, Active Directory. We hook all of, uh, we do all of that for you. 
and we make sure that you have uh, a very pleasant developer experience. Developers are our focus, and that's what we do. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard it described as like you're the, I don't know, the stripe of logging in. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we definitely strive to be that. Yes, again, the, yeah. the developer <laughs> right, experience right. aspect is great. I, uh, we also love Stripe. We we use it in our product as well for for our our self service offering. Uh, and that's that's something that's always big on our minds when we're doing anything. So you've seen a lot of um, you know growth in the company. I mean, you've been there a long time, and you know I'm, I'm interested. All of our listeners really like to know about you know scaling engineering teams, uh, working remote. You know, so scaling remote teams, uh, scaling products. I know you you talked a little bit off mic how those are your passion areas, and actually you know happens to be your job. You know, break it down a little bit on. Um, on how that fits in your day-to-day. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as a director, scaling engineering teams is kind of the, the biggest focus, right? It's You want to make sure that you have the right people on the boat, that they are on the right seats, that they have read the security manual, uh, that they know how things work. Um, and especially like remote brings a whole set of challenges around uh, creating informal communication environments, how you establish trust, awareness about how, um, how things are going. But at the same time, of course, all of the benefits around like you can hire for talent and not necessarily are restricted to, to just one location. People get a lot more freedom in terms of like how they work, when they, where they work from and, and things like that. So it's, there's a balance there uh, and putting together like the right processes, the right practices, and more importantly, on top of, uh, as a base of all of that, the right culture is key. Yeah. So how do you, how do you do the culture thing remote? You know, there's, there's so much interest from companies now that are trying to say, Hey, we need to convert ourselves to, you know, at least remote friendly and hybrid, you know, that there's not enough talent locally. Uh, and this is a global phenomenon. We're seeing that everywhere that people want to work, uh, in a remote fashion. And and I think companies want to get there, but um, there's a lot of confusion about how do you make a great culture and how do you keep people productive, you know, from a re- remote context? Uh, what can you suggest there? Okay. Um, so I think kind of there's that cliche phrase where it's like culture is what you do every day. Uh, but like that's the reality. In our case, it's true. Uh, when Otsido was founded, um, our two founders were from remote locations. Uh, they lived, uh, I think it was like four or five hours apart time zone wise. They lived thousands of miles apart. And the way they communicated, the way they worked, especially uh, as we brought in the, the first uh, set of employees, it was always remote first. Uh, there wasn't a moment where you were on site at a meeting talking about something and then you had people on, on your team missing out on stuff. And that kind of starts to spread. And the other big part is, again, sharing that culture in your processes, but also, most importantly, who you bring into the team, right? Uh, There's always a huge importance of trust whenever you're bringing another person into your team. And especially in a remote environment, like you don't want to be getting people in that don't want to be working there because... There's lots of instructions when you're remote, and it's important that people understand that it's on them to make sure that they get the results done within their time frame, right? Like we, we don't have any like 
fixed schedules. We, we don't do anything like that. It's just a matter of like managing expectations as a member of your team and making sure that you deliver the important outcomes that need to be delivered. And as a manager there, I mean, what are the best practices that you've got people all over the, the world and not even necessarily online with them at exactly the same time? Um, how do you how do you manage that to show that, you know, the organization is moving forward and, you know, sort of all aligned to the same objectives? It, it seems like that might be difficult, you know, in a, a context where you're just not face to face with people. Yes, and um, especially as you grow, and as you grow very fast, that becomes harder. So one thing that's very common today, and, and I know lots of companies are using our OKRs, that's something that we've started using, and it's been very positive for us. Uh, it's something we've been using, I think, for a year and a half almost, and you see the improvements of how we are doing that every quarter. So uh, our executive team gets together, defines goals for a year at the beginning of the year, and then each quarter, and we cascade those down. And we try to make sure that we are aligned to those goals. When we're doing something, whatever we're doing, whenever we're planning to do something, we try to keep those things in mind, make sure those are there. And then it's about repetition and like using the right tools for the right job. So we use, in, the, in our case, we use Slack for communication. There's a lot of communication there. But over time, we realize, especially for more technical matters, that it's not a very good like design decision tracking tool, right? So we would be like, hey, why did we do X? Where did we do Y with this component? No idea. Some people might remember a message from like two years ago and, and link to it. Uh, but we started putting some processes, some tools in place to help with that. So for example, there's a very good uh, set of blog posts from Juan Pablo Buritiga, who's VP of engineering at Splice, about using RFCs internally within your company, similar to what you do in an open source model to model design decisions and, and keep kind of traceability for that. And, and we just encourage that because it's very good for remote collaboration. Uh, and there's also an, another kind of huge thing we do, which is, again, not hard to do. It's just very important, has a lot of impact, which is doing one-on-ones. Um, each manager does one-on-ones frequently with their reports. They talk about things, not a status update, like that's the important thing. They talk about things like their career, how things are going with the team, how we can get better concerns, things that are coming from the company. So you put in this both async and sync communication channels that try to maintain that alignment and make sure that people understand why we're doing things and what's our base, what are our values, and not just being told what. Right, right. And now that's a bunch of cultural and, and team stuff that seems like it's really the foundation. And I imagine you've had to do those things and, and do them well because your product has grown so tremendously over the last few years. I think I, I read it's, you know, some billions and billions of uh, logins that that run through your system. And, and you're a, a critical upstream provider, you know, and people are literally sort of saying, hey, no one can get into my app or my business at all unless Auth0 is up. That's a, a lot of pressure. Yes, uh, it's a lot of pressure. Uh, it's also kind of the very interesting part of the job, right? You you know you have to be up, and, and we build things with that knowledge in mind. And it brings, of course, lots of very interesting challenges about like how we do things, how reliable we have to be, uh, but not only that, in terms of like, as you were saying, um, lots of customers use us, all of them have different use cases, right? Otsido 
is a platform, an, an extensible platform even. Um, that means that different customers have different usage patterns. They use us for different use cases, different things. And we just have to make sure that we can account for all of them and we can be up for all of them. Right, right. Yeah. So what do those practices look like? Are you ranged, I don't know, you know, in product teams or, you know, with a, a value chain or particular kind of, you know, objectives that, that tie together there? I mean, everybody can't work on on everything. So how have you broken down that, you know, just, just critical service that you provide into, you know, human units that can get stuff done? Yeah, that's a great question. And we've, this is something that we, we joke about internally because we revisit this, whether things are going well or not, every nine months, more or less, mostly because of the, the nature of our growth, right? Uh, we, we've been doubling like, the amount of people in our product engineering over the past few years, and you just can't do the same things you used to do. Uh, at this point, what we're doing is uh, we have different, uh, what we call domains, which are multiple teams grouped together under the same like single umbrella or idea, right? So we have, for example, identity and access management uh, as a domain, and that has multiple team under that, one of them that deals with like the API protocol part, another one that deals with the whole login flow from a visual perspective, another one that deals with authorization aspects. And we have a model where each team has a product manager, it, it has a designer, and then there's a, a group of engineers, so a manager and uh, a tech lead in general, and a group of engineers under that. We try to keep them as autonomous as possible. That's why we kind of form those teams like that. Uh, but at the same time, like there's the opposite part of that, which is like that, the responsibility, right? You, you are autonomous, you have freedom, you can decide, you get the goals and, and you figure out how you're going to contribute to them. But teams are on call for their own services. Teams are responsible for hitting their SLAs. And, and that's how, kind of how you kind of balance that freedom with that level of accountability that we need to bring a service like Otsiro yeah, I love that you said that, you know, balancing freedom and autonomy also, you know, with performance because, you know, autonomy can be a double-edged sword. If you have everyone being fully autonomous and not aligned, you're going to end up with a lot of stuff that's that's incompatible. You're going to introduce technical debt, um, you know, team, even service to service and team to team. They're not going to be able to communicate and there's going to be a lot of organizational friction there. So particularly as you're growing, if you're doubling your, your headcount, I mean, there's just so much communication that, that needs to happen. What have been some best practices there that you've had to change as you've have gone through that doubling and redoubling? So like the, I think there are two kind of big aspects to this and, and they're somewhat intertwined. One of them is like a lot of this is like the job of management, right? Like uh, team managers, directors who, who managers report to, uh, even our, again, our BP of engineering, there's constant communication uh, happening. So for example, Christian, our VP of engineering sends uh, weekly or bi-weekly, depending on on the week uh, or the month um, communication to everyone. Hey, these are things that are going on. And then uh, we meet together as like all directors from product, from engineering, from design to say, hey, like th these are the things that are happening. Let's make sure we cascade this. And um, it's about repeating the message, making sure that people understand, uh, keeping the communication channels open, because a lot of what's happening 
is about like moving fast, adjusting to learnings and aligning. It's not necessarily about like having a plan and, and just sticking to that plan. Then there's another huge aspect, which is the standardization, not just through process, but through tooling, shared practices, common infrastructure, what, what may refer to as, as a paved road. Um, so how do we maximize our component reusability, our speed, by using components built by one team in multiple teams so that we don't have to, as you said, reinvest on the same things, increase the amount of duplication in our code, increase our either like tech depth or like risk in our code base as, as it is. And it's just something that, again, th this is where that nine-month period changes things over time because things change and you have to adapt to the new challenges, right? So it, it used to be, hey, we could handle this with this different org structure, but that now the needs have changed. We need to make sure we can adapt. So we're going to kind of do some reorders, make some changes and get ready for OutCW next. As we right. Yeah. And it's interesting. You've come up with that, that nine month number on your own. Um, you know, I recently interviewed Will Larson from Stripe and in, in his new book, he talks about uh, the six month number and that, you know, the pace at which you're doubling the size basically means that, you know, every six months you are planning for another organization. And, and the flip side of that is that, uh, you know, we now don't have any plans that will work for the company six months from now either. And so you're constantly on this treadmill where you're trying to, to figure out like, who are we going to be, which is different than now, which is different than who we were before. And making processes that are at least you know sort of durable and, and flexible enough to to get there. I mean, it's it's a huge challenge to organizationally engineer that, and that's before you ever wrote a line of code. Yeah, and and that's why the key at the end of the day is people, right? You, if if you are successful, uh, you're always going to be catching up. Be that like the quality of the code you wrote is no longer holding it because that algorithm you wrote a couple of years ago now has thousands of customers mm -hmm. instead of 10. So now it's not working. And the same thing for the org. You're going to put processes in place, communication practice in place, but you need good people, people that are aware of the need for change, but also can adapt so that they can kind of always bridge that gap between your current process, your current situation and your actual needs. Absolutely. What have been some of, of your personal you know, best practices. And when you sit in the seat, you, you mentioned moving up from, you know, software engineer to now a director. And so I've talked to a lot of leaders who came through the engineering path, which is reasonable. And, and yet that, you know, being a leader in the engineering org is so different than being a line engineer. And, and some people love that. And, and some people don't. How, how's that experience been for you? Oh sure, yeah. That's that's a very interesting topic because I, I've seen people do it differently, and I haven't I myself said, "Oh, this is a better way because of this," or "There, this is a worse way because of that." It's just like people have different styles; they process different types of information more effectively. Uh, in my case, uh, because I like the technical aspects of what we do a lot, because because I'm very much interested in like the scale of our systems. I like to stay in touch a lot with like how we're doing things day to day. So uh, I I keep a very open channel with like, people on the specific teams uh, to figure out, hey, how are things going? 
are, um, I read a lot about what's going on. Try to write as little as possible because as a, as a leader, you have lots of influence and what you say might be kind of taking us the thing to do. And th that's kind of what we want to avoid, but trying to stay aware of what's happening with the teams you work on, but more importantly, building those relationships, those awareness channels that feed you, hey, this is what's happening with other teams. Because my, my job now at the end of the day is providing the right context. So uh, I need to build relationships with my director peers across of engineering. I need to build relationships with people outside of our organization. Is it like security or in product and sales and marketing? And making sure that we are constantly, as, as leaders, giving the people in our organizations the latest on what's happening, right? So a lot of that is like, hey, we're looking at this thing that we haven't reviewed in five years to see if we can do it differently. And so far, there haven't been any changes, but like, let your teams know about this. Let us know if you have any thoughts. Taking a step back, especially as, as you're going from like an individual contributor to a manager is hard, but over time, you kind of learn to realize what a productive day looks like. And that doesn't mean writing like <laughs> code. At least, you know, and I've also talked to, to people who have tried the management and leadership track and have said, you know, this is not for me. And I, I really want to go back and, and just, you know, commit code all day. And I, you know, I think it takes a lot of self-awareness and evaluation to, you know, just say, Hey, what's, what's the right seat for me for, for the organization to, to move forward. Recently talked to a, to a guy who, you know, just demoted himself from CTO to line engineer and he's 10 times as happy, you know, so there has to be that personal reflection. And I think organizations have gotten better recently in the last few years at, you know, sort of honoring the engineering path, not just saying a promotion means you have to lead now. Yes, absolutely. And so one of the, the things that, again, always existed, but I think is becoming more mainstream in our industry is that notion of like the engineering ladder, right? And, and people are, are sharing it. And what, what does it mean in their company to be a senior engineer and a manager? Um, that's very good for providing clarity to people that come in to manage expectations. But at the same time, one of the th things you start seeing and, and going back to that, hey, like moving to manager, seeing it's not for you, is realizing that going to management is not a promotion. Going to management is just like you're changing tracks. And it's a different skill set and you might not like it. And just as it's not a promotion to go in one direction, coming back and saying, hey, this is not for me, is also not an emotion. It's not a bad thing. It's just you experimented, you took a risk, you went outside of your comfort zone, and you decided that was not for you today. Uh, there's a really good blog post or set of blog posts, I think, from uh, charity majors on this topic. And I think they're very good because as a reader, it kind of helps take some of that fear of, hey, I'm going to be stuck there forever. Like I took a risk and it didn't play out. How will that how will that look in others' eyes? And I think it's quite the opposite. Absolutely. Well, Damien, great, great insights. Thanks so much. Before I let you go, we have this super important lightning round. Okay. Are, are you ready? This is critical stuff. All right. Sure. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. What are you reading right now? 
I am reading Getting oh, to excellent Yes. Excellent book. What can't you live without? Oh, the NBA. Uh, every time the season's over, I get really <laughs> sad. What is the last thing that you Googled for work? Uh, I don't remember. Let's see. Uh, it was, oh, yes, I remember. Uh, it was actually the charity majors blog post because I had the conversation today about like someone potentially trying out uh, for a manager position and I sent them that to them. So that's the last Great. thing I did. Yes. Great. And we'll have to get you to share that for the, the show notes. So I don't know if you're familiar with the office, US, US version of the office, but there's a, there's a classic episode where Jim who's the, uh, you know, office protagonist and, and then Dwight is the office heel that everybody kind of gives a hard time. And, Jim is sending Dwight faxes from future Dwight and he's warning him of things like the coffee is poisoned today and, and kind of messing with him about different stuff. And uh, I always like to ask people if I gave you a piece of paper and a big thick black Sharpie and today you are future Damien and you get to send that paper back to yourself in the past, what would you write on that piece of paper and why? Uh, so that's, that's a good one. Uh, I'd say that you are going to get many things wrong, uh, but don't worry. Most of them will be fine and not something you can't change. The important thing is learning from them, not just taking them as it was the worst thing in the world. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Damien, man, thanks so much for, um, for joining us. Uh, big fans of Auth0 over here. So we're, we're going to keep tracking your growth over there. Thank you. Really appreciate the invitation, Dave. And again, thanks thanks again to everyone and everyone who's listening. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch. And we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.